So this time it's body. This time it's body. What did you, you know, just what, what are some initial thoughts about the chapter? I actually, not talking about any of the substance, I thought it was quite good what she had to write. So go ahead. And so just recently, it, it occurred to me with this um, business in the news with the rep, rep yeah, right. um, basketball team, you know, unfortunately, you know, certain words are taken on negative connotations. But I got to thinking, I wonder if God's sitting in heaven and saying, you know, I made your hair like that because it's different and that's how I chose to make it and I see that as good. Right. And yet here's a whole culture that is trying their best And I think if you, if you remember back to Genesis, at the end of the first chapter, well, beginning, end of first chapter, beginning of the second chapter, he, he creates everything. Okay, so he says, this is good, you know, light is good, water is good, so on and so forth. But he, then at the very end, how does he close out the section of, this is everything I've made? He looked at everything he made, the last thing he made was man, and he says, it's very good. Tov ma'od in Hebrew, very good, um, which is... Human beings is what makes it very good. Fleshly stuff is what makes it very good. So you are right. You have hair a certain way. Well, that's the way the Lord created it. And it's not merely good. It's actually very good. Yeah. And, I mean, she talked about, you know, her hips are too big, mm -hmm. you know, which is a common thing among Jewish women, too, you know. And yet, just like the rest of us, there, there's, you find something on your body that you absolutely do not like. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. Those Great. I don't know from experience, but, you know. <laughs> what else? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> Everyone know what Gnosticism is? It's kind of, it's basically a flesh is bad, spirit is good. This is, this is, it goes back, I mean, John is kind of the anti-Gnostic gospel. So you know John, how does John begin? He begins with, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh. So he's writing against all these Gnostics who say, hey, the spirit is what's good, and the flesh is what's bad. And John comes right out and says, hey, the word, the eternal logos, became flesh, instantly saying that the flesh is not bad, the flesh is good. In fact, the flesh is best. The flesh is great. So it is true, though, you would think with kind of incarnational sacramental churches, we would be more anti-Gnostic. 
Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, the <clears throat> the incarnation is everything. God becoming flesh is everything. Specifically, that's Lutheran, but anything that's sacramental. The incarnation is programmatic for all of our theology. Everything we believe and teach and confess comes from the incarnation. If God doesn't take this is this is how one professor always said it. God doesn't take on flesh. He basically says, screw you. That's essentially what happens. You're made in flesh. You're a sinner. If God doesn't take on flesh, he says, screw you. Yeah. He said many other, believe me, that was tame. So they're thinking about bringing him here for a Saturday seminar. And I said, I don't know if you want to do that. That could, uh, boy, that could, that could split the church. But anyways, but he was fun. What's that? He was anti-Gnostic. He might like this chapter, actually. You don't know what else he'd say, but he'd like the chapter. But the incarnation is everything. So that's why even in the, even in the divine service, when it comes time for the creed, the Nicene Creed, uh, you know, uh, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. But in the creed it says, in the Latin it's homo factus est, and became man. And at that point, you'll see probably all the clergy reverently bow their heads because that's everything. Becoming man is everything. That means you're redeemed. If the Lord doesn't become man, you're nothing. If the Lord doesn't become man, man your body is as, flaw, you know, as, as flawed and as sinful and as ugly as what we actually imagine it to be. But because he actually took on flesh, your body has a whole new meaning. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. I saw an interesting thing on, actually Abby saw it on EWTN, this Catholic show. And I told you last time, you know, it takes everything I, everything I have to get her to watch anything on EWTN. But I woke up and she was watching EWTN, which was, I thought the Lord was coming back. I didn't know what was happening. I'm like, oh, man, here he comes. Okay. Well, it wasn't, no, it wasn't happening. But she was, she, th this young woman had a, had a great comment where basically she said, she went to this, she went to work with people who were suffering. And she said, I thought true beauty was, was what I saw in magazines. And every young girl thinks that, you know? What's on Cosmo or now, don't they have like Cosmo girls now? What's on Cosmo? That is true beauty. And this woman said, I worked with those who were suffering, suffering Christians. She said, that is true beauty. People who are so joined to Jesus physically that even in your suffering, you're beautiful. And, you know, that's an incarnational sacramental theology. That's one that's driven by flesh being good because it's redeemed. Yeah. Well, your body will be, yeah, your, yeah, St. Paul says, you know, in a, in a flash, in the twinkling, twinkling of an eye, 
the perishable will be raised imperishable, you know, the corruptible, the incorruption. Will it be flawless? It'll be what it was in Eden. It'll be exactly how you were intended to be in Eden. Right. You'll be, you'll be, did, here's the question. Here's what we really need to ask. In the garden, did Adam and Eve have perfect bodies? In the sense that there was no sickness. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Right, yeah. Eden, Eden is heaven on earth. So Adam and Eve have bodies of perfection. And what heaven is, it's Eden made new. It's Eden plus, actually. So will you have new bodies? No, you'll have your same body. You'll, you'll probably have the same color hair. You'll probably, it's going to look like you've always looked, but it'll be perfect, utterly perfect. Jesus will have the Well, but his body, here's the thing. Just by, just by bearing the marks of crucifixion doesn't necessarily mean it's flawed. Doesn't Because the scars, which were once horrible, are now glorious. You know, the angels and the Father forever behold the scars of Jesus, and that means for you salvation. That's a glorious thing. So, will he have scars? Yeah, he will. He'll be the only one that has scars. But it doesn't necessarily mean that he's flawed. But he is flawed in that he bore your sin, and now has raised you to perfection, but he is now perfect as well. What else? This, this is a great, I and mean, we could talk for like four hours on this chapter. I thought this was phenomenal. What else? What else jumped out at you? <clears throat> What's that? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, what she's saying here is that Basically, she's taking the concrete, physical, fleshly things of life and saying that these are all good and they all point to heaven. They all point to Jesus. And even uh, eating here, she gives a great example. Of the, and you notice as you read this, it was very Eucharistic in her explanation. Like, uh, let's see, it's, uh, what did she say here on page 70? Every morsel of food is blessed before eating. You know, if it's not blessed, you don't eat it. Um, there's a lengthy grace after meals. I mean, we have a post-communion collect that kind of wraps up the table. Everything is cleaned up. Everything is physical. Everything is fleshly. Everything is sacramental. All of life, you'll begin to see, is sacramental. Go ahead. Yeah, right. I pray for that every night. Actually, kidding. I'm kidding. Joke. That's a joke. Your food is always like heaven. I'm just kidding. Ah, it's, I'm telling you. I know. I'm listening. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yes. Yes.
Well, you, you notice, when does, you know, here, sacramental stuff, sacramentality or, or just the sacramental life is all about Jesus being friends with sinners. That's what it really boils down to. Jesus, who is flesh, is friends with sinners who are flesh. But you notice, where is Jesus throughout the gospel, gospels always meeting sinners? At table. Why does he get in trouble? Because he eats with sinners. So every time Jesus eats a meal, there's table fellowship. You sit with Jesus. He says, you're a sinner, but you know, here's forgiveness. You're a leper, be clean. All of these things are, surrounded by the, or are surrounding, surrounding the table, which is very Eucharistic, because now we surround the table and have table fellowship with Jesus, and we're forgiven. But what happens at the altar determines everything else we do in the rest of our lives. So the meal you eat at home is actually Eucharistic. doesn't mean you have a Eucharist. But it is sacramental. You break bread. You're with people who are sinners, but you love them. It's all going to be okay. You share food. I mean, every meal is sacramental. This is why, you know, driving through McDonald's with, my, with anyone, you know, friends, family, whatever, is so anti-sacramental. You know? You should sit down and have a long meal with people. Have wine. Break some bread. You know, enjoy yourself. That is a sacramental Eucharistic meal, and that's what every meal should be like because we're Christians. But as she said, if I get more than eight meals, it's a mir- or more than eight minutes for a meal, it's a miracle. You know, doesn't happen all the time. But what happens at the altar determines everything else we do in our lives, even the food that we eat, even the table that we sit at, even the friends who are around that table with us. It's a great point. She's really phenomenal. What else? What else? Um, what else jumped out at you? Yeah, right. Yeah, that was that was a little weird. But it is true. It is very true. No, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's weird. It's very true. Right. And it's, and it's marvelous, and it's just 
It's a shame that she said that. We don't get time to get them their bodies and everything else. Well, that's, you know, that's what's fascinating is if you want to see what a beautiful body is like, you should see the body of Jesus. And that's why I read Galatians 6 today, because it ends with Paul saying, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. The stigmata, the five wounds <laughs> Paul has in his body. And that doesn't mean that every Christian needs the five wounds of Jesus, but it does mean that every Christian will bear in their body somehow, some way, the marks of Jesus. Whether it be through suffering, through illness, through whatever. I mean, I, if you've been in, I don't know if any of you, I've done it like a hundred times, but whenever someone crosses water for deliverance, in all of Scripture, the rest of life is really hellish. You know, the Israelites cross the Red Sea and they've got 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus crosses the Jordan, he's got 40 days of temptation. You cross your own Red Sea or your own Jordan, the font of your own baptism, and you've got a life that is temptation and trial and suffering, and it's just not fun all the time. I mean, if your life is always fun, you've got to ask yourself, you know, within whom do I reside? Within whom do I, within whom do I reside? So the life of a Christian is a life of bearing in your body the marks of Jesus, but there's something very beautiful about that. There's something natural about that. To be joined to Jesus so intimately that you actually, you do what he does, you look like he does, you bear what he does, and you suffer with what he does. And then at the end, you're raised like he's raised. Exactly. Yeah. Their bodies to the way that they are. Right. Do you have something? Someone have a hand up over here? Yeah, go ahead. Um, you know, I just wanted to share. Um, my friend Elizabeth, she was just going through um, some eating problems. And she, she was overweight. You know, she had medication to eat. She lost it. She, she gained a lot of weight. And then she went into an eating disorder. And I, I can remember um, one conversation that we had, and I, I don't understand it. I mean, it just, it, it just is weird to me. I don't understand mm -hmm. it, but um, so she goes, she says, oh, I have this picture of myself, and I, you know, she starts, like, picking it apart, and I said, well, the problem is, Elizabeth, is you're looking at a two-dimensional picture. You know, you don't see, I mean, unless you stand in, your, in front of your mirror and laugh and make a funny joke or do that weird thing with your eyebrow, you don't really see what I see. You don't really see the person that I love in you. You don't see that animation. Mm -hmm. You're not a two-dimensional picture or mm -hmm. a silhouette or a pose. You know, to me, you're a funny laugh and a quirky smile and that funny eyebrow going up when I say something weird. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's the way you move around. You know, and I just, you know, I, I, I feel so bad when, you know, she gets stuck in that. You know, and I try to explain that to Heather, who's, you know, she's 16 and she looks at pictures. It's like, it's not about how you look. You're animated. You mm -hmm. have a bright animation in you, mm -hmm. you know, and you can see that in others. And it's like, there's pleasure in that, you know. So, I don't know. It just, it made me think, like, it's not, it, it doesn't really matter 
<laughs> Dad's here. Don't, I'm not talking about you. That's right. <laughs> there is some, it's, it's interesting though, because, you know, people say all the time, and, I, and this is not a criticism of your comment at all, believe me, because what you said was, she's animated, she moves the way she carries herself. I mean, those are physical, fleshly things. At the same time, something that's always struck me as odd is when people say, not about how you look, it's what's on the inside. Because when you think about it, that's very Gnostic. What we need to do is find a way to take fleshly, physical bodies and not say, don't worry about it, but say, it's been redeemed. And you actually can care about it and like it and not say, I don't want to have anything to do with, anything to do with this. So, and so the question is, how do we do that? You know, how does Emma, when she grows up someday, how do I say to Emma, you know, you're beautiful? I mean, you can say it's what's on the inside, but I don't think for a 17-year-old that's going to matter. So, so how do you, go ahead. Yeah, it does. And, um, you know, my husband had said a couple weeks ago, you look great. And I said, you know what? I think it's because I was happy about something in particular. Mm -hmm. And I, I said, it probably just shows that I, I feel a certain way. It's not necessarily, my body doesn't look different yesterday than, you know. But mm -hmm. I just, I, I remember, I felt so joyful about something. And I, Right. That's, that's, that's my point. The, the point. Yeah, right. right. But to, I mean, in, in the right sense, I would think, I would hope, if you're not thinking about it, it would naturally show that you're, you know, even if you're not talking or, you know, that there'd be, I don't know, some, something going on that's good. Or that right. you're caring for yourself. Right. Whereas for early Christians, the essence of the human being is the soul housed in the body. But see, that's the other thing I wanted to talk about was what Paul does, because really... He's a temple of the Lord. Right. Well, he says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I, if anyone, because I can totally identify with what she's saying, the way the Jewish mm -hmm. thing is, but Paul dissected that constantly. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. Mm -hmm. Don't give into the fleshly desires of X, Y, Z, P, D, Q. Right. You know all these things where he's completely separating them. I mean. But I remember, what's what's? Wrong, but but what's the issue that Paul's what's the issue that Paul's dealing with when he writes those things? Like, I mean, even when he writes to the Corinthians, what's the what are the issues he's dealing with? There. Yeah. Well, more. Yeah. Even more than that, it's it's all physical, fleshly, carnal stuff. And so his retort is to say, remember who dwells in you. Remember that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, remember it's not all about the flesh. Whereas, you know, what John is doing in the Gospels is people are saying the flesh is bad. Not, I mean, the people in, Cor in Corinth are enjoying the flesh too much. What people in, in the Gospels are saying is the flesh is bad. And John's saying, I mean, if you read John against Paul, you'll see so many similarities, but you'll see they're focusing on different things. John is saying, no, your flesh is actually good. Enjoy the flesh. 
revel in the flesh because Jesus took on flesh. But I do think she makes a, a very good point when she says, when she comments on rabbinic Jews, because in, in Genesis, you remember the Lord made Adam out of the dust to the ground, and then he did what to him? He breathed into him. Yeah, he breathed into Nefresh. Uh, he breathed into him soul and spirit and life. He animated him. So he actually does make the body, and then he breathes life into him. But they can't be separated. So both are good. But don't you think that the church fathers ran with Paul's version? Yes. Than John's because what are the church fathers dealing with? A bunch of people who are like Corinth. I mean, they're dealing with people who are so sexually immoral. I mean, this is, this is St. Augustine's great contribution is he talks all about the ethics of the Christian life, and people say, that's so legalistic, or that's so, not, that's so non-Lutheran. Well, you know, if you look at the world today, we should talk more about the way to carry your body and the ethics of the body, and the soul is important, and don't, you know, don't enjoy the flesh too much. So the church fathers are dealing with different issues. They're dealing with issues similar to St. Paul. I mean, if you look at the church fathers and where they're living in a non-Christian society, they're trying to get people off the streets as prostitutes and into the church. So what they're saying is, remember who dwells in you. So just, they're just focusing on different issues. doesn't mean one's right and one's wrong. They're all right. But they're, Augustine's battling different things than St. John is. Yeah, go ahead. Exactly. Vilifying the flesh into people who aren't aware of the paradigm that, that he's sort of dealing with. If you read any church father out of context, and I'm not saying she does, yeah, yeah. but if you read anyone out of context, you can say they believe anything you want. Yeah. And this is, you were talking about the conference yesterday uh, over at Wheaton College, you know, reading the church fathers out of context. You could read any church father and say anything you want. You could say the church fathers say you can have sex before you're married. Well, that's a quote you know, from Luther out of context. All, you can say anything you want. What happens is sometimes people pick, you know, they say the early Christians. I would actually like to see who said it and what context it was said in. Well, but what about the mortifying of the flesh? Yes, right. I mean, that is a total church father thing. Mm -hmm. so it, what was that? It's more than a church father it's thing. Anti-flesh. No, it's not an anti-flesh. Mortification of the flesh just means the realization that you actually are incorporated into the flesh of Jesus. Not a mortification. In fact, it's an, it's an elevation of the flesh because your flesh is Jesus' flesh. Oh, okay. Yeah, they I would. thought it was those people who went around whipping themselves. Like in the Middle Ages, they'd make pilgrimages right. in the hallway. They'd walk on their knees or on bare, bare feet over rocks. Right. They'd whip themselves and they'd moan and cry. And that was like encouraged by some of these church fathers. Yeah, right. And the purpose was, and this is not right, the purpose was they misunderstood how to be joined to Jesus. Okay. Okay. What they're saying is, beat yourself, beat yourself, and you'll be like Jesus, when, frankly, most of the church fathers say, take the mass, and you'll be like Jesus. Rachel, what do you got? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, examine yourself in light of the Ten Commandments. 
And when you're outside of Jesus, you're not going to stack up to any of them. You know, you'll begin to see, I do commit adultery. You know, I do, I don't honor my parents. I, you know, pick your sin. But when you're in Jesus, all the rules change. doesn't mean they're not rules anymore, but you see them from a whole different perspective. The Ten Commandments aren't law when you're in Jesus. And it's the same thing with what, you know, um, with what some of the fathers are dealing with. They're dealing with complete pagans who don't understand why they need to be in the church. And they're saying, your flesh actually causes you to sin. But once they get in the church, if you read the sermons of the fathers after people have been brought into the church, after they've been baptized, it's like there's a whole different perspective from some of the fathers. So I think you're right. It really is a law gospel issue. What do you need to hear? You know? So, so what do you tell your kids? You know, what do I tell Emma in 12 years or 13 years when she says, you know, I don't look like the girl on Cosmo? How do you tell her that, that actually not just say it's what's inside, because she'll say, Dad, or she'll say maybe something else. I don't know. It's not what's inside. Actually, your flesh is good. How do you tell, how do you tell a child that? Well, that's true. That's true. Okay, well, let's say when she's five. I don't know. Four. What do I tell her tomorrow? Yeah, right. That that's that's right. 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 But how do I convince her that her body is actually beautiful? How do you do that? This is where this is where I say this, that's right that's right well yeah yeah that's right yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Can you imagine if every every young girl and you know and this is what's fascinating is people people don't always think of this. Young boys probably deal with image issues just as much, if not more, than young girls. But imagine if every young child who was coming up through adolescence and, and seeing, you know, watching MTV and reading Cosmo and whatever, if they began to actually realize that when you consume the body and blood of Jesus, you actually become what he is. Think about how fascinating that would be if we had 13-year-old girls say, you know, I may not have a body like Cosmo, I have a body like Jesus, because I actually eat his flesh and drink his blood. And if you said to your kids, you know what, you may not look like the girl on TV, but you are so beautiful because Jesus dwells in you physically. It's not just a spiritual thing. You actually eat his flesh and drink his blood, and you are one flesh. When the father sees you, and for that matter, when I see her and when her mom sees her, we should see Jesus, which is the most beautiful flesh you could ever imagine. I mean, just, just think of how amazing that would be if, if 13-year-old girls started saying, you know, I'm not like the girl in Cosmo, but I am more beautiful because I consume Jesus' body and drink his blood. That would be a fascinating thing. Ooh. 
my divorce, I, I separated from my ex-husband, you know, when she was pretty young. Mm -hmm. So it was just her and I going through this for a long time. And um, what we used to do is um, we would try to figure out who it was that was making the decision about who was beautiful and who wasn't. You know, so Heather and I have always been, you know, I've always kind of taken her on a path with me as to go, now, who in the world thought that would be pretty on the cover of a magazine? You know, and we've researched and we've looked into, you know, um, who is making the decision? Right. Let's do a little research on the person who made the decision to put us on the cover. Let's <laughs> find out who this person is and what their ideals are. And are they gay? <laughs> like, you know, Red or seeing the devil wear Prada? No. Yes. Okay. I, I worked in the fashion industry because I was a milliner in London, New York, and that is exactly, I mean, exactly how right. it works. Heather and I, I mean, and we have thought about this, and I said, honey, and you know what? I actually had a boyfriend once. He told me once, because I would, I was complaining about my body, and he said, you know what? If I wanted to date a teenage boy, I would. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> because teenage boys don't have curves, and they don't, you know, and I think I, that was something that started to click into my mind. Like, first of all, is the guy that I am seeking out to impress the one who is making the decision to put that girl on the cover of a magazine and and say that this is the ideal. Mm -hmm. You know, so, um, you know, just like when Heather is, it's been, it's been interesting to raise her because it, every time that we come up with these uh, ideas about other people's ideas about what beauty is, her and I are very critical now to go, let's find out who just made that decision. Let's find out who just decided that that skirt, you know, it's like, Sometimes you see somebody walk out the door and you go, what, you don't have a full-length mirror? You know, we we start doing that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Not at all. I have no idea what you mean. I've never thought to myself, do you have a full-length mirror? That is so, I, I'll be honest, I've never thought that to myself. But I'm sure it's true. You do see And I didn't mean to get into a whole discussion about Cosmo. Um, no, but I think we the, struggle with it. We do struggle with it. It's very true. And I think what we need to push, push people to, and even ourselves, is, and this is one thing that Lauren Winter does so well, is everything is seen with, through sacramental lenses. You know, at the end of the day, you can, you know, this is it, it's probably a great thing to, to, 
look at who's doing what and, and who made the decision that that, I mean, stuff goes out of style, stuff doesn't work anymore. That's the nice thing about wearing black all the time, it never goes out of style, you know. But what we need to, at the end of the day, that's not going to get our kids where we want them or get ourselves where we want them. What we need to eventually say is, you are beautiful because you don't even bear your own flesh anymore. You bear the flesh of Jesus. That is the only thing in all the world that is beautiful, ever. Yeah, keep taking the supper. Okay. That's I mean, it. I mean, I know when I was 16. I, I completely understand. Right. Sure, I'll say yes to my pastor, and then I'm going to go and, you know. Keep going to the supper. The keep going to the supper. That's all you can do. The more, I mean, it's just, it's a, you know, the Lord, the Lord makes you beautiful. Well, he makes you beautiful at the font, and then he just continues to make you more and more beautiful. And eventually, the prayer of the church is that people begin to realize how beautiful they are because of what they eat and what they drink. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Right. And I often. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's true. Put the, say she's a, good, she's a good sacramental Christian. She's beautiful too, but not because of what she's wearing, no. but because of who dwells in her. Right. Maybe we need to reformat what beauty even is. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And, and somewhere it'll, it'll link to 
Huh. Right. Yes, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It does, I'm sure. The question is, does it, does it make a difference? Does age make a difference in how one views beauty and suffering? I think is what you're saying. Okay. So, because we often will say, like, we'll say very openly, boy, well, I, I don't know if we'll say this. We should say this. That older person who's been suffering with pick your disease or whatever, that's a very beautiful thing. It's more beautiful than a 17-year-old who's just been paralyzed. Yeah. Here's the bottom line. I mean, she, she makes this point in here about her own mom and suffering. Um, we need to begin to see this is, you need to see everything in the person of Jesus. You need to like refocus the way you even view the world and view people and view what they go through. All of suffering is beautiful because Jesus suffers doesn't mean you're meant to imitate it. It, meant, it means be ready for it because it's probably going to come. But also in this. Yes. It doesn't mean that at the end she is beginning to understand who is all of us. Mom's just sort of important. Yeah, right. To look to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How can you enjoy who you are? I can't, I'm not that good. I don't know if I can do that. What else can I do? I, I don't know. Ask my, my, my sister and brother. I, Pray a lot. Yeah? The, the way that, that they have great hair kids and a lot of great babies, that, that you, you accept who you are. And that doesn't mean you do it all the time. And that you just know, one, get a solid base of mm -hmm. you Yes. And this gets back to Carla's point. Where do you know? Where do you know so concretely and physically that you are loved? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Precisely. You see how easy theology is? I mean, hey, it all revolves around the altar. We could we could have this class in five minutes. We could say, it's all about the body, and Jesus takes on a body and eats his body. Oh boy, here we go. All right, let me have it. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> You don't think so? Yeah. Okay. Right. Huh? Hmm? 
Right. And that is a matter of, I mean, it is a matter of tending your body and also body. I mean, she begins the chapter with, uh, with talking about body image, yes. which is, a, I think, directly connects to your understanding of beauty. How you understand, how you look at the image of your body determines whether or not you think you're beautiful or not. No. Yeah, it does. How, when you look, if you were to look in a mirror and say, I have a terrible body, would you think you're beautiful? We don't want to know. Keep going. Yeah. I think that it's extremely, like you were saying earlier, how there's such variety. There's variety for our pleasure having friends that aren't all identical and enjoying their personalities, their bodies, the way they look. And also in a marriage, you know, not every woman is going to find Mm-hmm. So the question would be, where did you get the standard mm -hmm. from? And the Bible, which should be our ultimate authority on these things, does not outline what handsome and beautiful is in physical bodies, per se, I don't think. Well, I, Except for Christ, you're saying Christ. But I mean, in terms of your nose should be like this and your eyes. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah, right. Are we talking Abby or Emma? Who are we talking Abby, about? Emma. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. All right. They're coming this summer, though. That's a okay, you're, you're partaking of the body of Christ, or you, you're creating God's image. He, he looks at you and he's pleased. And, and then we always say, well, but of course it's because of Christ that he's pleased. Well, it leaves them feeling like, okay, that didn't bolster his confidence in how he comes across to all the girls, mm -hmm. which is important to him. It is. Age. Yeah. Especially with children, 
children in their development, you need to veer off the what's the standard thing and really delve into the, what they've got and so how, or bring the body of Christ thing into that. Well, I'm not a therapist. I don't know. I only get paid to give the goods. So, next question. No, I'm getting, I, I, I would like to know. This is a tough group today. Can I just say this? Yeah, I decide I'm going to emote a little bit, and you guys are all over me. Come on now. Oh, man. I know exactly what you're saying. I do. I would like to know how, and with Emma. Yeah. Right. What's glaring at me is my father brushing my hair after my Saturday night bath with a blow dryer, which is the only day of the week I got my hair blow, blown dry. And it was the night before church. And my father's just brushing my long hair and saying how beautiful my hair was. Now, that is like, to me, hearing that once a week sent me sailing through the week, just feeling like I was the most wonderful girl in the world, and it gave me confidence. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't think that then, but I look back, and that's what I remember. So, but, you know, he was definitely making a personal judgment about what he thought about something about my physical. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing. The world's done, I mean, society's done us no favors in how they view body image and how they view what beauty is. Um, so, you know, do you need to readjust the standard? Or do you need to talk about what the standard is? Yeah, you probably do. You know, this is what Cosmo thinks. This is what the world thinks. But you know what? Here's, here, here are physical ways in which you are beautiful. Your hair, your, I, I mean, I don't know. Pick your whatever. Um, and at the same time, you know, so hear me, hear me correctly. I'm, I am not saying at all, don't tell your kids they're beautiful. Just say, you consume the body and blood, it's all going to be okay. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that's the source and foundation of true beauty. And that influences everything else you say and do. So, you know, them consuming the body and blood, does that make them beautiful? Yeah. I mean, I tell this even to, even to couples that are going to get married. You know, you can't ever say, I may not love this person. Because if that person is redeemed and that person consumes Jesus, you wake up every morning, even if you think to yourself, I don't know why I'm still here, you say, but they are so lovable because Jesus loves them. And that's why I'm here. I love them because Jesus loves them, because Jesus redeems them, because Jesus feeds them. They're beautiful. I mean, that's the reason couples stay together. And you need to say the same thing to your kids. Here's why you're beautiful. Because you've been washed. You know, you consume Jesus. You are so beautiful. And at the same time, let's talk about the standard. You know, what's on the front of a magazine, that is not beauty. We may think it is, but here's why you're beautiful. Here's why your body, as she really, she's not talking about beauty, she's talking about bodies. Here's why your body is so amazing. Here's why your body will be a blessing to someone else. Okay? Right.
It's well put. Well said. Yeah. I usually, I usually start doing this, you know, because everything is out. But I get in this thing where it's just that's all I want to think about is um, how how can I how can I do better? And I find that I do it mostly when I am more disconnected from prayer and helping others. Mm -hmm. It's the strangest thing, but a lot of times. When I can, you know, and and the other thing I did want to point out about, you know, with Heather and I, you know, I always try to explain to her what praying is. You're going to have big arms because you're married to me, so you always have a great, anyway. <laughs> you know, it's the steady body type. It's like you got to point out what's good and then get on with it because we, we get, you know, I've seen this even with my group of friends. It's like once we get, there's no getting better. There's no getting over it because it's Elizabeth and I have been through this. Mm -hmm. We decided that if, if you know, we take my legs and put it with her top and back and we still need a breast donor, but, you know, we're like, it's impossible. You cannot get perfection. It's like, you, you know, it's this endless cycle of chasing your tail. Right. You know, I mean, if there's a real problem, like, okay, you know, you're so overweight, you can't go up and down your stairs and do your laundry. You get in your way of the usefulness to serve your family and take care of your family. But if you don't have, if, if something's not getting in the way of your usefulness, uh -huh. then what are you doing anyway? Right. Why are you navel-gazing anyway? <laughs> Why aren't you focused on other things? Mm -hmm. You know, I sometimes, when there's stuff I need to do, like clean the house or whatever, it's always a fun conversation to talk about how you need it. You know what I mean? It's, a, it's like I go inward instead of, I got stuff to do. Right. You know, I, I, I just, your navel-gazing comment, and you're starting out with saying, it is all about it, 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 it seems like that there's such a disconnect there, but there's really, mm -mm. It, it, is, it is this extraordinary thing of continuing to let the Lord reveal to us what it means that he came to this flesh to lift us, our heads up off of focusing down into ourselves and trying to figure out this. I, I, I don't have any words for it. Yeah. It, it, but but I, I know that these two conversations are really important that they're held, held that the way out of the hell of all of, all of the, the introspection of it is the internal thing. Right. Right. Is, is what it means that Jesus came into the flesh mm -hmm. and he gives us his flesh. Right. Let me, my, since my wife is raising her hand, I should probably take the question. Yeah. Go ahead. I, and I have been out for a bit. <laughs> Well, you can see Christ's body and blood, and therefore you are 
talking about noses. We looked at Emma and we said, whose nose did she get? God, we hope it's not ours. <laughs> and I said, Mom, you know, I remember I hated my nose for so long and I wanted to change it. And then I saw a picture of someone who had a nose job before and after and I said, they don't look like themselves. And it terrified me that it would change my identity. And as I think about poor Emma and her nose has been dead, <laughs> Yeah. It's realizing that you're a complete person and that you're a person who's been redeemed and that even the good and the bad, it's all part of the person. It's the full package. And it's a complete whole. Right. Yeah, that's all part of the package. Right. I might not be perfect in the world body, but it can be. Right. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because of because you're a Christian or you're a woman of God or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's it's never been this this more it seems this more holistic like your your body and I mean by really drinking your body and soul as mm -hmm. Christ and 
Right. Yeah, you first say, I'm Christian, and then you say, well, let's have some fun. You know, what can I do? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, got something? Anything? Go ahead, yeah. Right. Yeah. Adam and Eve knew that they were just right. And we can't we can't even fathom that. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Do we end at ten thirty? Well, I don't know what what's up for next time. Fasting. Oh well hey, you wanna fix that body, we'll talk about it next week. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, man. Well, if I do come back down, I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's pray. Let's say, close with the Lord's Prayer and we'll be on our way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, thanks for being here.